and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you can perform at your best. You can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes and fuel with the code OA22 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week I bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you. This week, I've got a, a real treat for you. I've got Chris McCormack on the show. A lot of you will know Macca. He was a two-time Kona winner, four-time world champion. He was he, he pretty much won everything that was going in the, the early to mid to late 2000s multiple times. He was, a, he was a very polarizing character during the time he raced. He treated triathlon very much like a prize fight and, and he trash-talked competitors and, and he was very, very, I guess polarizing is the word. Some people absolutely loved him. Some people really took a dislike to him. I always thought he was one of the greatest characters the sport had and he made the racing really interesting. I loved following his races. I met him at my first ever Ironman in Australia and I, I always found him to be a really nice guy. And he has gone on since retirement from racing to be involved in all manner of things in triathlon. He is the brains behind Super League Triathlon and helps organize that. He is a pivotal part of uh, Team Bahrain Endurance. He's a pivotal part of the Phoenix Foundation. And more to the point, he is one of the biggest fans and students of the sport. So I thought, who better to get on um, to review the year with? He's also got the ear of, you know, every single, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating saying this, every single major triathlete racing at the moment. And so he's, he's got some great chats. So I thought it'd be awesome to get Macker on the show and have a chat with him. And he didn't disappoint. Bless him. He was out in South Africa doing some kids camps for the Phoenix Foundation. Um, he was in his car texting me saying, I'm really sorry, man. I'm going to be late for the interview. And he raced into his room. He was all hot and sweating out of breath when he got there. Um, but he made the time to do it for us. So, you know, I'm really, really grateful for that. It's really awesome. And like I said, he's got some great knowledge. He's one of the best minds in triathlon. He's a great business mind as well. And I think he's a, a really interesting character to have on. So, yeah, listen out for that coming up very shortly. Before we go to that, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can use their free fuel and hydration planning tool. You'll get a personalized strategy for your next race. The planner helps you understand your own carbohydrate, electrolyte, and fluid needs so you can refine your strategy during training. You can book a free one-to-one -one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team, and they'll be happy to help you nail your race nutrition plan, helping you perform at your best on race day. Everybody sweats differently. We sweat different volumes. We set different um, salt concentrations. And it's really important that when you're either racing in the heat or when you're training in the heat, especially if you're training indoors on treadmills and turbo trainers, that you get that electrolyte component right because that's a large part of how well hydrated you stay as well as the fluid you drink. And the eagle-eyed amongst you who've been watching out on uh, on Instagram and have been following PFNH on there, you'll know I've talked a lot about how there were tons of athletes who are not officially sponsored by them, but were seen using their products and drinking from their bottles in Kona. Well, they had an absolute scoop the other day. I was looking at their Instagram feed and one of the customers, I think, had tagged them um, in a photograph from... The World Cup. Now, who was it? Let me scratch my brains here. It was, 
it was Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, if I remember correctly, out in the World Cup. Obviously, out in Qatar, it's boiling hot. And somebody somebody noticed in the background of one of their photos in the changing rooms of the World Cup, the England football team. Lo and behold, they've got PF&H supplies in the background there. Now, I don't know the story of whether they're officially working with them or not. And I can't find out from them either. They won't tell me. But to be to be having your products used at the very, very highest level like that in multiple sports. I know they work with tons of baseball and American football teams, especially where it's really hot as well. But to see them being used by the England football team at the World Cup is brilliant. You know, the guys have come such a long way in the time that I've known them. So, and rightly so. I, I've said this before. I firmly believe they are the, the best products out there and they're a superb bunch of people. So, yeah, get over and check it out over at precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use the code OA22 for 15% off your first electrolyte and fuel order. Okay, guys, let's head right over to this week's interview of the week with Chris Macker McCormack. All right, Chris, welcome back onto the show. It's it's great to have you join us. Let's kick off by starting about starting talking about where you are in the world and, and what you're doing. You're out in South Africa right now at the Phoenix Foundation. Yeah, I I came over, believe it or not, to do this double century ride I do with um Brightling every year. Last year was a an adventure because we got stuck here with the Omnicron. Remember that whole period of time in life where we all had COVID? That's right. The last time we yeah. talked, you'd literally you yeah. just escaped, hadn't you, by, escaped, so. by a second on a private jet to get out of yeah, there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we came back, and that was last week in Swellendam, and then we sort of planned to run one of these Phoenix. We do these Phoenix projects around the world, and the one I really enjoy is this Phoenix Futures program, which is taking – we do four of them a year, one in Europe, one in Australasia, one in Asia, and one in Africa now. We'll do one in South America next year. We take the 20 best – well, 20 high performing athletes from a region and we bring them and we just mentor them on what it takes to become an elite from you know transition up from junior to elite so this is the first one we've ever done in africa so we've got 23 kids uh 11 from um south africa and then a few two from kenya two from ethiopia um one from zambia and um wow. yeah it's pretty cool and uh and yeah it's it's you know teach them about social media and drug testing and and it's really, really cool. I find it the most fulfilling program we did. We do we did one in, in Thailand a few weeks ago for our Asian athletes, and it's really cool. You know, Usain Bolt rings in and Kelly Slater, and yeah, it's across all sports, not just triathlon. So what's the big drive of this? And is it a purely philanthropic type of deal where it's just trying to help out the kids from backgrounds who don't have necessarily the, the governing body support that they might have in Australia, America, UK, something like that? Yeah, the Phoenix Foundation was sort of, it was started by a, a gentleman called Sebastian Kulchik, you know, a close friend of ours, and uh, and he wanted to create a foundation and do something solid. He, he inherited a, a large sum of money um, when his father died prematurely, and, you know, and he, he, he was sort of, not lost is the wrong word, but he wanted to do something good, and, you know, and he, he his best memories of for himself were through sport with his father. And he's like, look, just looking at all the statistics, it was quite quite alarming the the amount of kids that are dropping out of sport and the participation levels amongst kids are dropping out and and a lot of the literature was saying that we're closing a lot of kids from out of sport because of costs and so he's like look let's i want to form a foundation that 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 gives opportunities for kids to participate in sport and do sport and understand sport because sport is more than just a game it's you know as i learned in my life i met my wife through sport my friends my peer group it's it is an integral part of i think of 
of living you know so yeah he, he started it and he's become really bullish he loves it he leads it and you know we do everything from creating events for kids all over the world um to this futures program we support um um both kids and and athletes to the olympics from underprivileged nations we sent 80 athletes to the tokyo olympics that don't have the funding from their from their nation to to go and we set them up with training programs wasn't training program but training places around the world pay for their pay for their training just to give them those opportunities because what we found and we had one athlete from uh mozambique that we supported she was the first female to ever represent her country not ever represent ever represent her re a little a region there and it had like two three million kids that followed like that were intrigued in her story and i think what an amazing role model like to and she would yeah. never have got to the olympics and never had the opportunity to go to the olympics without the phoenix foundation and th- these are the you know, it's just small steps and there's amazing foundations around the world, but we do pretty cool stuff. I find it liberating. I really, I, I really found my purpose. I, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's truly cool. Really, that's really, cool. that's really amazing because it's, it's, it runs in parallel with what you already do. But I think a lot of, a lot of the, the pros I've spoken to who have retired from sports at the very highest level, a real common thread is like the, what next, what do I do? What do I do next? It's, you spent your whole life up to, in your case, you were probably early 40s, right? When you finally decided you weren't going to compete anymore. You've got another 40 years to fill in your life and you've been this like highest possible achiever in your field. Where'd you go after this? So it's it's amazing. You've got something that really feels like it's giving back to people, whereas it, it's something different than starting a podcast or starting coaching or doing TV and and commentating work, something like that. Yeah, I, I was always, well, I guess for me, I was sort of not lucky, probably the wrong word. My father was also sort of an accidental hero to some degree by being an athlete because my father was very much against me ever being an athlete. Uh, he didn't have a great education. He worked so hard for, I have an older brother, a younger brother for the boys and was driven to us to be educated and have a job. So when I said I want to be a professional athlete, it was, you're kidding me, aren't you? It's not happening. And especially when I said, I'm really good at this triathlon thing. And he's like, what's that? Like, it was like, I think I've said it before. It was like being a young kid coming out there. I want to be a professional Spartan athlete. (laughs) That exists. It was sort of, I said, no. It's like the equivalent of wanting to be a professional FIFA player, isn't it, these days, or an (laughs) esports player or something. It wasn't even a career at the time. It wasn't a career. And and then I, you know, I fell into it. And I think my whole career, my dad's always called me, he passed away two years ago but he was always like you're the blessed son i don't know you got paid to do i don't understand why they paid you to do that like i he could never grasp it he was a lot he was old you know a lot older than he had me when he was 44 so he was a relatively older father per se yeah. and so he was from a different era um and so but i think he always reminded me that i'm very very blessed to do what i do and i think that that my natural competitiveness always came out in my racing and I was always called cocky or, and I don't think I ever was. I was just, I guess, to some degree desperate to, to do the best I could in the period of time I had. And I took it very, very serious. And, and I had to win because winning was the currency that paid the bills. So I, it was never a joke to me. Right? And, yeah. and I had a good time, don't get me wrong, but it was, and I, I think, you know, I, I was always preparing for the afterlife. I, you know, I my father made right. I didn't Well, that's to... that's really interesting. So, did you were you consciously looking ahead when you were an athlete? Because I was going to say, how how was it for you deciding to finish? We got the dog joining in in the background. Here, and I don't know if you can hear her woofing. She loves the interviews. Um, 
how was it for you making that transition from racing at the very top level? Did you always have one eye on what you were going to do next? A hundred percent I did. And, and, yeah. and I say to the athletes now, I was, I was always putting myself, literally, I, I think I won my first world title at 22 um, as an ITU athlete. And that first piece of money, I, my father made me finish. I did my financial degree, commerce degree at university. I did my master's in accounting. So I was definitely educated and I worked at Bankers Trust as a banker. And then I quit that to become a triathlete. You know, I figured there's no money in banking. <laughs> and, um, yeah, why wouldn't uh, you go and ride your bike? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, and so it was very much, you know, my brother is a successful lawyer and my younger brother's a successful computer engineer. So we, we always were a very strong family unit. And, and so I was always very alert on the fund money I had. I, I wasn't a, I was always investing it and always investing. I opened bike shops that I sold. And even during my career, I was very alert that, yeah, my, that I was very lucky to be doing what I do and that, that at any moment this could be taken away with me from by an injury or so that, you know, you you had to be aware that I was sort of living in fairy tale land. And I, I get the impression a lot of the times now with a lot of the young athletes and I try and tell that to them, it goes very, very quick, guys, and you need to be prepared for the afterlife. It's very, very difficult. And so, yeah, by the time I was, I had no idea I'd be 38, 39 when I retired and I won that Kona at 38 and I was the oldest winner at the time, and Crowley went on one the next year. But and then I was able to secure four years of of sponsors, which I was my own agent with my good friend, and and that gave me some breathing room to really work on the other businesses I had. And I was doing a lot of um, consulting for high performance programs within China and Kazakhstan. At that point, I thought my life was going to roll, you know, sort of play in that space. And then okay. it was when I set up and, and started. Um, building, I built the high performance training center in Thailand and the international school that became, I realized I had a, a knack for finding money, raising money, finding projects to raise that money for those projects, and then running the logistics and delivering that. So basically mergers and acquisitions. A lot of the stuff I learned at university, I was able to apply. And I realized during sport that I had the network now to reach out to, to, to sport gave me that network that I probably wouldn't have had I would have had to be in behind a big company to do that. So that's how I was able to form my own company and go from there. But it was definitely something that was always very front and center of my mind um, as an athlete. And and, and and I don't think anyone truly appreciated that. Like, oh, he's so intense, Macro. Because so, I felt that intensity because I had an old man behind me going, I can't believe you're, thir- you're 38 now, son. You need to walk. <laughs> what are you going to do next? It was, it's like, it was always reminded at Christmas and, and uh, yeah. it, was, it was constant. Yeah, man. And is that where is that where the crossover came in when when Super League happened? You you I've got the the impression, and I might not be correct on this, but that you were a very fundamental part of like bringing triathlon together with business in a way that it it wasn't all about governing bodies in the WTCS or ITU as it was then. All of a sudden, it was. Remember when I visited you guys out at Super League in Malta? From the athletes' point of view, it felt like a like a summer camp where they were. They were doing some racing and having a really good time, but there was this business aspect to it where all of a sudden you guys had arrived with the contract from the TV crew, the professional aspect. It was almost like a Formula One event, but instead of instead of having cars going around, you had the, the kids racing around there. It was, it was an amazing, very, very different spectacle that made the racing the heart of a day, but it wasn't just about the racing somehow. Yeah, I think, look, I, I remember being an athlete and, and I still hear it now with the announcement of Kona and, and the movement now. You, you always hear athletes, athletes complain about everything. And I was always, in my house, I was always brought up, you complain for a moment, but what is the solution? 
Like, what are you, it's easy to sit there and whinge and sit back and go, oh, well, what are you doing about that? You know? So when yeah. I retired, I was like, okay, what are the, what are the, the, the pain points that I've faced in my career? And, and one of the biggest ones was being left off the Sydney Olympic team. I was world number one. I was a world champion and I was left off probably rightfully so. They were probably right, but it should have been left to me to decide that because my mother had passed away and they didn't think I was mentally right to do it. And, uh, but I, I didn't want any pollution. I, I, you know, when you're a junior athlete, you just think the best go. You don't realize right. that there's all this gray area in the middle and and, and favoritisms and, and coaches that you don't talk to and all this system that the cloudies and pollutes this this beauty that is sport. So I just thought with Super League, I wanted to create a product where I don't care if you're black, blue, yellow, orange, purple, whatever color you are, whatever you believe, you want to do the best racing in the world. Here's how you get in. Tick the box and you're in. Right, like you, when this race you go, and that was sort of fundamentally where I came up the Super League concept. And then I was looking at why aren't we getting the cut through in triathlon? Everyone's always talked about the demographic, and it's the same as sailing, and it's amazing. And and um, you know, we all talk about it. Again, what's anyone ever doing about it? I realize Ironman's not going to do anything about it because their business model is mass participation, and that's fine. They just need to create more events. So to 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 think that they're going to come up with a solution is uh, you're either an idiot. Or you're just simple, right? So you can yell and scream at Iron Man and say, "Yeah, they probably do have a responsibility." The, the pro race Iron Man is the is the cherry next to the pie for them, isn't it? Exactly. It's, it's great, exactly. but it's it's the thing that they use to promote getting more age groupers into the events. Exactly. Exactly. And um, and you know, I just figured, well, instead of whinging about it, let me do something about it. So you know, and I had the opportunity to raise some capital to to. To deliver an event, I, I put together the program, um, delivered you know what I thought would would work well on television. I had the opportunity. A good friend of mine that I went to university with was leading Fox Sports in Asia, Simeon Doors, and I went and sat with Simeon and asked him, "Why isn't triathlon on TV? What do I need to do to get triathlon on TV?" He's like, "It's boring. It's 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 not." best versus best anymore we've moved out of it but there's so many events now that people avoid each other you need best versus best performance and you need a, a fixed calendar so the world's world triathlon series was definitely on the right path with what they were trying to deliver but the 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 commercial rights that they own and they took from the athletes restricted your ability to be a professional so it was always going to be an olympic amateur style racing experience so i thought well let's look at what others are doing and let's try and create a, a product that works and then move into a team dynamic and um, and try and create commercial value around that. And it was simple. And he said to me, you need a product that lasts 52 minutes on television, right? And you give me that, I'll slot it into your primetime TV. But if you don't, it doesn't, you can't give me a two hour product because I can't right. give you that. You're not football. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, 52 minutes, bang. Like I, I, I molded the product. And of course you've got to stay true to the sport, but it sort of went that way. And that's sort of how we deliver it. And then I tried to bring the corporates around and create a, an up close and personal experience. I, I'm always fascinated by Abdouez and the Tour de France and the crowds being very, very close to the athletes. I think that immersive feeling for a, for a spectator adds value to a sport personally, whether I'm right or wrong. And I, I don't know, but I, I really think that's valuable. So that's what I tried to make these circuits that were tighter and, and bringing crowds together and, and doing that. I had no idea that the delivery of Super League would create, I just thought I was doing great for the sport that I loved, but then suddenly 
you realize you're coming in and you're croaching on a pie that a lot of people have been eating for a long period of time and they start getting a little bit frustrated about your existence and then you start coming up in the same way as an athlete with all the all the back backhanded deals and things that are the, the dirtiness of sport that you're like wow i didn't i didn't know really and a lot of people trying to push you you know i just sort of come in and be like oh great mac let's work together let's work together no one wants to work together no one wants to do any of that and really kill it off yeah 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 and it's, it's well, I'll constant. tell you why. I'll tell you why I think you've got it right. I had a, a bunch of athletes I coach. We were all going down to do this big race in the UK, a big half distance race, and it was on the same weekend as Super League London. And a couple of weeks before the race, a bunch of my athletes said, "I've got some corporate tickets for Super League London. Let's go down and watch." And I was like, "Hey guys, we're we're all we're all racing." And they're like, "Well, you know, I've raced a few times this year already. Let's get together." And so I had half of my half my team there racing and half the team in London watching Super League. And it made me go, ha, huh. like at first, I'll be honest, I was a bit like, what, what's going on? You guys should be you should be racing, you know? Yes, yes, yes. But then I took a step back and went, they've got seats in the corporate box. It's their chance to, they've all got photos with GTB and with Alex Yee and here's me with Hayden Wilde. It is a once in a, not a once in a lifetime chance, but it kind of is, you know, from, from that point of view to be up so close with these athletes who they've seen at the Olympics at the Commonwealths. And it made me think it has, it has made a product. So you guys have made a product that takes, I mean, there are athletes who are no more keen than my guys for racing, but they wanted to come and watch the pros race more than they wanted to watch. And I thought, wow, that's, Hats off, man. That is a that is an amazing product that's doing the job you wanted to do. And it's raised the profile of the sport to the point where there's no way people would have gone to watch the London Triathlon five years ago over racing themselves. Amazing. No, it's a it's a great product. And, and well, it's not me, the athletes. The athletes are the product, right? I think you right. just need to get a platform. And I, I don't think we've ever, you know, Kona's always been that for long course athletes. And I think back in the day, um, when it was a singular world championship, a one-off world championship, they moved to the series, which I understand now, but I think ITU had a, ma- a fantastic product with that one-off world title. The grand final doesn't seem to have that same because it, a lot of the time it's, it's non-consequential. This year it, it worked with Leo Bergier winning that world title. Um, but, you know, in, in the years past, the world title has been wrapped up two rounds before the, so I was like, eh, you know, I yeah. think... Um, you, you, and there's always that element, isn't there, of someone someone can win the race but not win the grand final, and yeah, yeah, you, know, you exactly. get that kind of tactical. Well, yes. if I finish fourth, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah. I, th- I think, look, I, I think my personal opinion is, I my gut feeling was that, uh, you know, I went, I loved my ITU race or World Triathlon racing days, and then it was a very different era when I migrated when they left me off the Olympic team, and I decided in 2002 after Commonwealth Games to do Ironman. There was no 70.3 back then, right? So you just you made the big jump. It was from two hours of racing to eight hours of racing, from draft legal to to 180k time trial. So uh, it was a, a huge jump, and and it was probably this Ironman was where you you were a professional to some degree. You know, the ITU was a little bit invisible. That World Championship was was valuable but the world cup series racing wasn't really i won a whole bunch of world cups no one even talks about them right but it was that world championship every year that mattered simon lessing would win spencer smith would win you know and then when it became that series it sort of softened and i wanted i wanted to make sure i could bring these young kids because i felt that iron man the people coming to iron man were old it was sort of a midlife crisis sport with the utmost respect so yeah the demographic was great but what were we doing because to feed the next generation of kids to come through. And you're seeing a lot of them. Like there's 
you know, Johnny Brownlee has no interest in doing an Ironman. You know, there's a lot of athletes, Simon Whitfield, Olympic champion, never did an Ironman, no interest, right? And yeah. when I was coming through, there was this, the sport was sort of whole and one. Ironman as a brand wasn't so powerful. And I thought, well, who's focusing on the youth and the juniors and, and building that? Sure, the federations are, but I found that very, very... Um, well, that, that brings us around to talking about, doesn't it, to the the young guys at the moment. We we've got to yeah. talk about Gustav and Christian to start because yeah. they, to some extent, I know they they'd already had their one, two, three, and one of the in, in Bermuda. The first time I really came across those guys was out in Malta at Super League, and yeah. you've you've got all of a sudden they were the. I don't want to say they were the young upstarts because they'd already been on the podium at WTCS, but they were racing against the likes of Vincent. And, you know, they were openly talking about wanting to try and take him down. It was like it was their chance to to yeah. kind of go up against the big names kind of thing. And they were open. You know, we are not afraid of anybody. We're going to race as hard as we can. And people say it doesn't suit us, but we'll see. You've got these guys now racing at the highest level in Super League over a 300 meter swim through sub seven, sub eight, through to winning 70.3 and Ironman championships. And it's like the sports come full circle to the yeah. days of Mark Allen, where you can win the Olympic distance and you can win Kona in the same year, which I honestly thought we would never see again. Well, yeah, two things. We brought Christian into Hamilton, our first ever Super League race. We brought Christian to Hamilton Island. Did you have him back then? Yeah, first race. He, wow. If you watch, he won, he won the Eliminator. Yeah. He was winning the Eliminator. Great kid. Like, he's a huge. And we brought Hayden Wild. I got laughed at when I brought Hayden Wild. I saw Hayden Wild do a race in Hamburg. He was running, he was out sprinting. It was either it was seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth sprinting for that position, and he turned himself inside out to come seventh. You can't teach that; that's yeah. in you. That's an instinct. I said, "I want that kid in Super League. He's the future." This kid, and really? so, and, and it was the same when we signed Christian for sub seven. Everyone's like, "What about Jan Fredina?" I'm like, "Mate, you're not paying attention, right? You've got an engine, and, and what the the Norwegians have that no one talks about, and this is what I'm saying about federations and their small minded thinking, right? I understand they're government backed and they have they have to do things a certain way, and, and never used to be that way until the Olympics came along and government, but they are the first federation that backs their athletes. So your, Christian Blumenfeld travels with his federation. The federation coaches him. The federation pays for him. They travel as a group, and they are doing Ironman. No other federation is coaching. There's no one coaching, you know, there was no one coaching Tim Don from the UK Federation getting UK support to do Ironman. He had to leave, go solo, and do it on his own. So the success they're having is that they carry their high-performance program all the way through Ironman racing, and that's why they can shift between between distances. If I opt now to leave ITU or my Federation and do an Ironman, I can't get back in. I'm locked out, right? So... This is the problem you have. We're back when I was racing in the early days, you could shift back and forth. So the, the talent is there. Jan Fredino and these athletes could have gone back and forwards, but they made a conscious decision to leave the federation, which means you're out. So you have to yeah. do Ironman, and that's the one-way path. So no one talks about that perspective of, of, of what Norway has done very, very effectively in that sense. And I, they are remarkable athletes. Their attitude is incredible, and they've been tracking them from a science perspective, since they were 12, 13 years of age, their blood work, everything, You're, they're cyborgs. And they are going to be very, very difficult to un- unhinge. The, the change to, and I think they're capable of going back and forth. They will, I do believe there is a, at some point there is a, a 
point of no return. You can't go from Ironman back to this shorter distance racing. Youth will, youth sort of forgives the mistakes that age will punish you for, and they are aging. They're naturally going to age, and and you, yeah. you get away with things when you're young. You don't get injured. You you wake up and you there's so much testosterone running through. You feel incredible, you know. Like, but as you start to age, the bones start to ache a bit, and you feel that session a little bit more, and and, and the refinement of your craft becomes a lot a lot more a lot more important. But they have an engine behind them, a high performance engine backed by a federation, backed by a government, which is just a, a massive advantage that they absolutely have, that, that the guys they're coming up against don't. And uh, they are going to be very, very difficult to dislodge. And, and if they say they're going to do something, as I said, when I signed people for, when I signed Christian Bumbefeld sub seven, he'd, ne- he'd never done an Ironman. He'd only won the Bahrain 70.3 twice, never won an Ironman, never anything. And everyone laughed. He hadn't won the Olympics. Right? And then he went, Cozumel, world record, boom, Olympics, boom. Now he's the Ironman world champion, 70.3 world champion. Everyone's like, oh, you're mate, Christian Zelen. I'm like, well, hang on a sec. Three years ago, you told me he was a he was a nobody. And this is the problem, I guess, it's not the problem, but I think fans of triathlon, we have very, very short memories. And a lot of the time we don't, our, we don't dive deeper than the results. You know, we don't look at races a lot of the time. When you watch how athletes are racing in sixth or seventh place, yeah, oh, so-and-so won, right? You know, I'm like, yeah, well, did you see what happened seventh or eighth place or, you know, who's coming and why they're coming, what type of race they had? Like they might have been on the front all day and four guys passed them at the end. And and then had you watched Bloomy and, and Gustav and Casper Stores, you, you would have seen these, these weapons are coming and they're going to come in a big way and they're going to lift the game again. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're talking about young guys who are coming through. Let's talk about Sam. Let's talk about Sam at Kona oh, because I, I honestly think anyone who says that they saw that coming other than Sam and his dad, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sam was, Sam was, a, he was on our radar because he came and he won. We had him on the podcast. He won a local Ironman in the UK when he was, I think he was 19 still. And he ran like a 241 and everyone said, oh, the course must've been three miles short. And this is in his first Ironman at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And a mate of mine who raced, he was like, well, it was a bit short, but it was it was half a mile short, Rob. It wasn't three miles short. This kid is, he's like, I've got his phone number. Call him, get him on the show now. So so like we've got him on a recording from three years ago or something from just after he's done his first race. But never in a million years did anyone think that he was going to, on debut, do what he did out in Kona. Oh, I didn't see that coming at all. And I, I, I think... I've been following Sam because he's got such a big swim and his bike strength was good. But I, I guess he really, that whole Sam Long, Lionel Sanders thing at the, that was sort of when I saw it. Yeah. I remember really paying attention because I, I did think he was on the receiving end of that. I, I didn't think what he said was very, yeah. I thought, I he, Sam Long. He, he, got, he got set up for it, didn't he? he yeah. I, so someone I in the like, studio oh, was prodding him and going, go on, say yeah. that. Like, really? Do I say, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've been that guy. I've been that idiot too. Yeah. So I, 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 <laughs> I, I really felt for him and I and I and I really enjoyed what he was um what he did. I didn't see 404 in Kona, like having having seen that performance of Jan Fodino in 2019, I thought that was that was the gold standard. We wouldn't see that topple for a long, long time. And then mate, that performance was remarkable. And I just spent the week with him here in South Africa. He came over with the Brightling tour. He's he's a breath of fresh air, to be quite honest with you. I I like his respect for the history. 
I like the youthfulness he brings to the racing. I, I like that he he's he believes he can win. And it's it's his not his destiny, but it's been something he has been driven to do as a kid. And you cannot underestimate the power of a dream, you know, like the power of want. And and we saw that in Kona on debut. You know, he split those Norwegians and he's not a cyborg and they have got everything thrown at him. He's got his dad. So yeah. you have to give credit where credit's due. And, you know, what we're going to see from Sam now is expectation, right? It's a, it's a very, very different beast you're going to have to deal with. And I was only talking to him recently about that. And But he's got great people around him. Jan Fredino is very close with him and we're, we're chatting on that trip. And he's like, look, now people are going to expect things from you, Sam. Don't change your dynamic. Don't change who you are. Don't. Don't feel that weight because it's it's not real, right? Yeah. Expectation. Your own expectation is heavier than all of theirs. So try and shut that out. But I, I do believe great athlete, huge talent, and very, very, very I think that the, the move to to Nice of this world championship, we're probably going to talk about that. I'm not too sure how that's going to affect him. I don't know his clients. It's a completely different athlete that will, will be successful on this type of course. But um, he's definitely exciting, and I and I do enjoy what he brings to the sport, what he represents, and his entire story. It's remarkable. Exactly the story you said, like a 19-year-old kid doing an Ironman. Most high-performance coaches would be like, too young, you shouldn't be doing this, all the reasons why you shouldn't. Don't underestimate the power of a dream. Do not yeah. underestimate it. And, and, and that's what we saw in Kona. Were you part of the behind-the-scenes getting him in with the Breitling squad? Was that part no, of think- your... No, no, no. I've been there. I think he works with Ronnie Shiltnick, who's um, it's his agent, and uh, ah. and so Ronnie's part of the Breitling squad with us, and uh, and a great agent, great, great guy, and and I, I think Sam really fits the Breitling narrative. He, he's a bit, you know, he's very. If you look at the Breitling athletes, were independent athletes per se. Daniela is very. She's Daniela Yarn and uh, myself, yeah, and, and he's that. He's he's a not a loner, but uh, I don't have. You know, where a Christian is very much the team and there's other people with all groups and they train with squads and, you know, Breitling is very much be you and he fits yeah. that. So I think it was a perfect fit. Would you, I don't know how much you, you're still involved with the the Bahrain Victoria squad. Would you, is he the kind of athlete you'd consider for that kind of setup? Do you think he'd benefit yeah, from right. being in with a, a, a gang like that? We, we still run it. We're going through our team selection at the moment and I guess uh, – He's definitely one on the list. I spent a lot of time talking to him about that. He's very eager to explore it. If Ronnie's listening, go easy on me, Ronnie. But, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's yeah, he's he, he look. He's he's a realist. Like he, ah, oh, geez, I like him a lot. To be honest, I I, I think he's yeah. He, he realizes you know it's, it's a team dynamic. Bahrain victorious without question, and there is a there is a great camaraderie between the members on the team, and, and leaning off and benefiting from each other's success through bonuses and and stuff, and and being able to train together where needed. They're very independent, but they train together, and I think that's where Jan has become a a a Jan for dinner is, is at the end of his career. I hate saying that because he's so good, but he's definitely at the end, and and a lot of people want to do it his way. And he's and he's very very open and and I, and I really respect that about Jan. He's not very closed off. A lot of athletes as they age start to become very sinister and and oh I don't want to share anything. Just in I've, I've, I don't want to give anything away because I'm, I'm about to lose anyway. So where he's been much more open and um, especially when he's still racing. So yes, to answer your question, Sam is definitely on our radar and I'd love to love to have him as part of the team as we restructure that team as well. And we're off to Bahrain in, in less than three days and up there for the Ironman. And that's when 
we present a lot of the athletes to the Royal Office of, of, of we have to do a big presentation of why, who, what they represent, their scheduling, and um, what next the next couple of years will look like. And yeah, Sam's on that on that short list of potential athletes to be on the team. When you when you go through and you had the journey you've been on from, I'm read your book and I remember you saying when you first quit your banking job, you used to pretend to be going to the office still, and then you'd you'd go and train and then come home in your suit, so your dad didn't know you'd you'd quit the job yet. Yeah. To go from that transition of, you know, trying to make it in a sport that at the time had no career path to presenting a team of athletes to the Bahraini royal family, do you ever step back and, and have a moment of how did I get here from there? Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, my good friend MG, who has been with me, he was a, one of the first guys I met as a young athlete, as an 18-year-old, he used to run, he started the Noosa Triathlon in Australia and he was one of, I felt I thought he was the most vain human being I'd ever met. I talk about him in the book. And, and you know, he always had his shirt off and he was the quintessential 80s triathlete with the fluorescent pink speedos and the big glasses on the shirt off and running. And he was I used to think, you're not even a good runner. But I love this guy. He's like a big brother to me. And he he said the same thing to me a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, the problem sometimes with you, Macker, is you, you're turning 50 next year and you never, ever, ever look backwards. You go, wow. Even when you were winning world championship, win Kona, and then after the race, you'd be like, okay, for next year. Well, and he used to say, just absorb it. Just please enjoy it. And, and I, I, to some degree, I think I am hyperactive or maybe ADD. I've never been diagnosed. but And I think maybe that's why my father put me into sport to, to burn off this natural energy. But I know my brain is always, always turning. And I, yeah, I, I'm not one for accolades. Like I, I love winning and don't get me wrong, but if you came to my house, I, I have no trophies up. My wife threw most of them out because she thought they were ugly. And um, and I'm not, I don't, I don't need validation. I'm not a big social media guy. I do posts and stuff because I have to, but maybe once a month. And I'm I've just I just like doing things. I like I like being part of something that I believe in. Or and and triathlon has been so good to me. I'm such a believer in the sport. And I just I love everything about it. I love the people in it. I love the the rawness of it and the the honesty of it. And I, if I can bring any change and 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 leave it in a better place when I'm gone than for the people on, I, I just think it's cool. So I don't find it work. But yeah, I've, I've been in some situations in the last four or five years where I'm like, wow, you know, I've sat with the kings of of countries, and I'm thinking I'm just a kid from Cronulla in it, like. <laughs> And I go back and tell my brothers, and they're like, "Wow!" And I don't realize the stories until you tell them, you know. I, and but uh, it's, you know, I think sport gives you that. You don't see barriers really. You just you just get on with business and and, and get on with it. But I enjoy it a lot. But yeah, it's funny. You, you think, you think it's taught you to treat everybody in front of you as if they're just a. Uh just another person essentially yeah, well, we, all, we all are right we all are and maybe that's the australianness of us we don't, i don't really have that you know it's very easy going and and you know i without questions i understand that the sheikh nasser is a, is a royal and i understand the protocol and i'm very very you know respectful of that but i have no i remember only about five or six years ago and it's funny i was living i was living in thailand and and the queen the future queen of thailand or well, the sister of the king, sorry, um, was doing a triathlon, her first triathlon. And I mean, the entire country stopped at this triathlon I was at. And all my team from Tanyapura came out. And Kay, who was my PR girl at Tanyapura, was like dressed to the nines and 
we did the race. The, the princess did the race on her own, and all the all the, all the military was out there. And I crossed the line. She she finished in front of us. So I crossed the line just behind her. And she was in the transition, and I walked over, and all these military. I said, "Congratulations, great race!" Like uh, I'm Chris. I was behind you, you know, princess. And she's like, she was English educated, right? She's it's just and we just had a conversation. I mean, half of Thailand fainted because I didn't. <laughs> I didn't follow the protocol, but she was quite fine with it. And I think, you know, we had a, a good 20-minute conversation and talking about the event because there's, they are normal people, right? They are. And when they, I think they understand when they enter the sports realm per se, it, it, you, you shed the, you shed a little bit. You know, Sheikh Nas has done Ironmans. He's running, he's, he's in the group with everyone. He's suffering with everyone else. They're all around him. There's not, you don't have the military. I don't think the English um, royalty can do that, but I, I know I've always felt that, that that sport is this is this equalizer where where everyone sees themselves as equal, and, and because of that, it's enabled you to to take steps that you probably wouldn't have in a different environment. If I was at a at a black tie dinner and I saw Sheikh Nasser, I would never walk up. Hello, Sheikh, how are you? I just wouldn't. Yeah, I, I understand my place, and I think that opportunity through sport has enabled me to get into doors and create relationships that I've been able to foster and 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 bring good. I hope to to the sport. Awesome. Well, listen, we, we touched a minute ago on this, on the idea of how will Sam do in Nice? And this is still unconfirmed at the moment, but what's definitely been announced is they're moving the men's race next year from Kona to, as we record, an unconfirmed location on an unconfirmed date. It's very heavily rumoured to be Nice on the 9th of September. Can you see anybody beating Gustav? in Nice after his performance at the 70.3 champs in Nice a couple of years ago? Look, I, it's five weeks. They're, they're on Olympic. The first thing I looked at, the first, because my phone blew up. Boom, 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 boom. What do you think of the change? What do you think of the change? So what change? You know, and then suddenly, bang, I'm reading, I go, wow. So, uh, Did you have any inkling it was coming? Had you heard any? No idea. I, I had no right. idea. No, it seems so. to have taken everybody by. Yeah. Yeah. It's come from nowhere, right? Yeah. A few years ago, I mentioned it would be a, and it's probably not the most populous thing, but I, you know, would have loved this system when. Right, when you were always there. saying this, weren't you? Let's yeah, let's yeah. rotate it around so that yeah, the I, guys I hated who get that. hammered by the heat and humidity yeah. have a chance every other year. Yeah, yeah I hated Kona, like, and so I lost. <laughs> I only won it twice, and if I think if I had this opportunity, I probably would have five or six of them because I I never used to lose Ironmans except Kona. But Kona is a special beast, which I think, and and remember, Ironman started in Hawaii. And you need it, that attachment needs to stay there. So I like the concept of of rotating. I'm not overly sold on splitting men and women. I just think that's a that's a funny thing mm. to do. I yeah. just think, you know, we we that's it, it, a funny thing. I don't know why, but they have their reasons. I'm not, but um, I don't. I'm not against the rotation by any means. Um, the, now the September date was the one that blew me away because you know you've got especially when I was looking at the Norwegians, I'm thinking, okay, you've moved the date forward a month. The Norwegians are chasing Olympic points. The World Triathlon Series will finish four weeks prior to that. So where they thought they had a longer window to prep for an October 9 Kona, that's now four-week preparation window, right? And, and, and that's will that change what their racing is? They've, they've probably been hit by surprise, or maybe they haven't. I have no idea. I haven't asked them. I'll see Christian next week. Um but no, it's going to bring a completely different athlete into play. I, you know, Rudy von Borgs, who grew up in this part of the world, descenders. It's a it's a legitimate Ironman course. Like yeah. anyone who has done these, it is a legitimate course. That climb, that Col de Vence, is a proper climb, and, yeah. and and that back valley is very very hot. 
and the descent off the top of it as well very tricky yeah yeah the descent is a legit alpine you know it's a i don't i don't know whether it's 40 minutes 45 minutes of when the year i did it some guy hit the barriers and went over the top coming down it's a it's a proper alpine descent and it's gonna play just like we saw when it was in in nice for the 70.3 worlds a different kind of athlete with different skills can make up a lot of time there I'm with you. I think I think um, Gustav Eden's going to be very hard to beat. But my first thought was, Ali, I texted Ali Brownlee and went, listen here, Al, if there has ever been an opportunity right now that you come off your injury, you nurse your body, this is a course for you. He's that type of rider. He's got impeccable bike skills, you know, growing up in Leeds. You've seen the way Ali rides a bike. He's, he's migrating up in distance. I think that whole push back to the Olympics has hurt him. Right, that 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 hole has busted his body up a bit. He's had a bunch of injury issues. If he can stay injury free, I think he would have been going. Wow, this is a, a magnificent opportunity because he he's a he's a fantastic climber, like a fantastic climber. He has a huge engine, and I think this event suits him more than a Kona event. You know, and I think if he was to get a world title here, uh, it, it brings completely different athletes into play. Is what I'm saying. And and guys like Jan Fredino, they got to adjust their training. He's a little bit older. Um, the descent, he, he can't use that sustained power and those power meters as effectively as he can in Kona, where he holds that that high wattage for a longer period of time and is able to slowly establish that break. It, you know, those breaks can be pulled back a lot easier on the descents and, and the climbs, and it's, it's more of a revving race as opposed to this constant power race. You know, you, you got to look at those those different athletes, right? And, you know, maybe a Patrick Langer or these 230 right. in Israel who can climb. You know, and, and a lot of people aren't taking into consideration two laps of that run on the Avenue de Anglais out there. Yeah. The Champs, well, not the Champs, the, uh, you know, the front section yeah. there out to the airport and back. It's dead flat. It's exposed and hot. And, you know, yeah. we talked about it over 21K, and the marathon there is is, is hot. If they go it. with that same course, four laps yeah. of that course is yeah. is a brutal war of attrition for sure yeah. mainly because it's not very interesting right it's totally. you've totally. got a very similar situation to the back stretch up on kona where yeah. there's nothing to see you can in fact you can see something you can see the turnaround on the horizon every time yeah. you get to the turnaround and man it looks a long way even though it's three miles yeah without question and i, I think look i i i think it, it's great for the sport i know that's probably not pop, not a very popular thing to say i understand why they're doing it it's you know it's uh they are. They do have to make money, and we need we need Ironman to survive in order to provide the events. A lot of people are very very quick to jump on them. I have been that in the past, but you want it to survive, and you don't make decisions like that lightly. There's probably a lot of pushback over the double day this year in Kona. It was a disaster. Like the racing looked great on the thing, but you know the, the, the community fell apart. There was no food on the shelves. Like they're like, get out. You know, don't yeah. do that again. Yeah. And um, and so look, you, you, sometimes you're, you're hamstrung, and you have to do what you have to do. But I think. Nice, if it is in Nice, and if that's not confirmed, Nice has its own history. You know, it's a it's been there forever. It's Europe's first big race. So that that is important. And I, I'm a big historian. I love that dynamic, and I hope they they tie into that. And uh, and we, we use some of that old history of you know with Mark Allen winning there, and 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 you know all that French history of that event. Yeah. But I just think it's a really really interesting event for me. Gustav Eden is the man to beat. Depending on that Olympic, I think he should turn his back on the Olympics. Personally, I know he won't. I agree. I, yeah, if he he is unstoppable at this distance, and 
we thought of that of Jan Fredino and look how quick that happens. And, and Gustav could go bang, 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 bang before we knew it. And, and he could have six of them. We could be looking at a new Mark Allen very quickly. He's still very, very young. And he is very, very good. Very good. And uh, I think this course, you must be going, you beauty. <laughs> it's going to be great. It'll be tough to beat. Well, one last thing then before we wrap this up, we have to talk about Patrick Langer's run in Israel this this last weekend as we're recording. Two hours, 30 and 15 seconds, I think. So two questions here. How much of a play did the shoes play in it, if at all? And how good is that run? That's, did you did you ever believe you'd see someone running a two thirty in a in a legit Ironman like that? Well, d- did I ever think I'd see someone run two thirty? No, um, I thought it would come not not in not as quickly since I retired. But then I thought, oh, I've retired for ten years, so it's yeah, it's happening. But I just to understand how quick that is is remarkable. Especially, it wasn't a shit bike, right? You're not looking at right. a slow bike. He time, wasn't hanging right? around. Yeah, he's not riding five and a half hours and going bang, you know, like yeah. he's 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 riding a big bike. So it's a legitimate race. Um, do the shoes have effect? Absolutely. I, uh, having done the sub seven event and and having gone through that, a lot of the back, you know, when we filmed a lot of that and we were able to get into the in, in with ASICs and look at it, we went into Puma and looked at the shoe development and what they were building and and you're speaking to those shoe designers. It's one hundred percent, especially and what they're telling me and you're seeing now. And they were saying that these shoes benefit. They were originally built for the marathon for Kipchoge, the Nike guys with the with the cushioning. So he said it's it's the way they're shaped and the way the new carbon plates are coming into them is for assisting in that DOMS, that leg fatigue that limit the marathon. He said the first thirty kilometers of marathon, there's no fatigue, right? You're, you're running like you've done it. It's that back ten k that you lose your time, right? And we saw right. that in Kipchoge's chat. He said it's amplified in an Ironman. Because you, yeah. you're heavier, you're flat, you're more flat-footed, so it brings that back end of the marathon where you used to fall apart. And I remember, you know, back when we were racing, Cam Brown and I laughed about it. We were looking for the lighter shoes with the least amount of of uh, of, of of foam. Now they're getting, you know, massive foam and looking for that spring. Like it just, it's you would have had a trade-off with weight, but now that weight's been eliminated. It's a huge, huge, huge benefit. You know, you still have to run, but you are. You're not getting the, the leg soreness as quickly. You're, you're really supporting the stride where it starts to fall apart after, you know, 25K to 42K. You're keeping that stride length intact, and it adds a lot of play into the into the game. And people go, oh, you're still going to put one foot in front of the other? Absolutely right, but you talk, you're fit enough to do that. The engine, you've been in an Ironman, the engine's there. You just can't run any quicker. Yeah, like Your legs are sore, and you're like, oh, but now there's an assistance. And I, I look, I, I know world triathlons just ban them, Iron Man hasn't had a made a, a decision on that. I, I, I'm a look. Triathletes have all, we've always led it in technology, right? We we brought aero bars, we changed cycling. You know, we've always get a hard time. Triathlon geeks, triathlons, you know, triathletes are weirdos, and uh, but we constantly bring innovation and change because we're prepared to take those chances at major events. And, uh, and I thought it was. I think it's cool. I think it does a great job, and I I think keep them in. I'd love to see. It's, and it's great to see, isn't it? It's great to see yeah, these times. It really it's, it's a really legit, like, it went to 2.36 and then 2.34, and now it's 2.30. I'd love yeah, yeah. to. I'd love personally, from a fan's point of view, to see someone go under that 2.30 barrier oh, in, because, in a legit race. That'd be, yeah, without that'd be amazing. I loved it. And I think because growing up as a runner and I used to always – 
get attacked, not attacked by my running friends. They were, ah, oh, triathlon, you guys are not, you're the jack of all trades, master of none, you know. And, you know, when I made the move and I wear glasses, no one runs in glasses. And then it was like, yeah, your, your 10K run sh- splits on the on those, just, they're not properly measured because, you know, we started breaking 30 and then the brown. And I remember Ali Brownlee went and did that 10K track race and ran like 28, 20. And I remember texting all my all my running mates, going, "Let me guess, the track's short, right? Like, <laughs> what, what's your excuse this time? I told you they're legit. I told you these guys are good, you know." And I said, "And the best part about this, Ali Brownlee, is he would have he's a swimmer, mate. He, he can swim with, you know. Like I said, start giving respect where respect's due. And I think, you know, Patrick Langer is, you know, you're running two thirty. Yeah, the shoes help, but you're running two thirty. You are an engine and you're a machine and 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 it's it's cool that he's he's doing that. And I and I love seeing these fast times. I just seven, you know, I remember breaking eight hours. It's almost embarrassing when people ask me what my best time is now. Well, oh, 7.51. You're like, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, a, oh you're shit. <laughs> you know, they just drop that every week. Joe Skipper just went, boom, 745, like the fourth time this year or something. You're like, dude, it used to be the gold standard. Now it's like, oh. You know, you're just watching yourself drop out of the list of... Yeah, you're not even in the top 10 if you're not breaking 750 yeah, in some of these yeah, races. It's like it's oh, remarkable. Heartbreak. It's remarkable. You did it first, yeah. mate. Kilometers yeah. were longer back then. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Oh, well, listen, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, mate. I know you're a busy man. Well, how would you like to wrap this up? Let's Tell us about the Phoenix Foundation again and where people can find out more about it because it sounds like you guys are doing amazing work out there. No, yeah, follow us all online like we... It's uh, Phoenix Life on Instagram um, with a three instead of the E in Phoenix. Phoenix Foundation is the Swiss based Foundation, Foundation. A few years old, we're doing a bunch in triathlon, supporting a whole bunch of the next generation. We're doing a lot with kids. So, yeah, just follow it. You know, like if you want to donate, you can, but I'm not asking for anything. It's more just follow along because I really, you know, we're, and we're open to if you've got any programs in your area, you know, we, we already amplify a lot of the work the Brownlee Foundation's doing. We're doing a lot with Nicholas Spirig and Javier Gomez and, and we're trying to really assist those foundations. So if you're one of those foundations that are doing work with getting kids active and, and moving and, and doing, and that can be anything. It doesn't need to be triathlon. We're doing stuff here and running. So if you're one of those foundations, reach out because uh, that's, they're the programs we're trying to implement. And uh, we've got some really cool donors and, and a, a really, a really amazing guy in Sebastian that's that's keen to bring that change. And I love this, I love this not-for-profit side of the world because you're not driven by numbers and and corporate greed. It's just all about doing good and that that makes the heart feel good at times. Yeah. Awesome. Chris McCormack, thank you uh, very much for joining us, buddy. And hopefully we'll be able to catch up again in the future. Take good care of yourself. Cheers, you too. All right, and there we go. Hope you enjoyed the interview there with Chris McCormack. He's always good value. I love talking to Macca. He's one of the most passionate fans of the sport. He's doing a lot of great things with the Phoenix Foundation and promoting Super League. I think um, I've really enjoyed talking to him, and I love the enthusiasm with which he talks about that. I think he's the he's the biggest fan of the sport still, and that's that's always really good to see as well. I hope you've enjoyed that little interview there. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Let's wrap things up. Here are some discount codes and deals for you. 
You can go to precisionfuelandhydration.com and use the code OA22 for 15% off your first electrolyte order. And also, if you are looking for triathlon coaching options for next year, maybe you've entered a 70.3 or an iron distance race and you really want to get the best out of yourself, please head over and check out our coaching options at teamoxygenetic.com. I think we've got the most comprehensive triathlon coaching program for busy age groupers. You can book a call with me and the team to see if you'd be a good fit. Just use the link in the show notes. We can have a chat for up to half an hour to discuss where you are, what you've done, what you want to achieve and how we might be able to help you. All right. So remember there's links in the show notes. so You don't have to remember those. And until next week, have a great safe training and racing week. I'm coach Rob Wilby and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict podcast. See ya.